Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 10. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is the word of the Lord. So a few weeks ago, I found myself caught in a pretty intense battle. Um, I was in an intense battle with this tiny little stone, and that tiny little stone was actually winning. Uh, the tiny little stone happened to be in my kidney, and, uh, and I've actually had a couple of those, but this time, it was winning. Uh, it was defeating me completely. The best part about the little stone was it decided to make its appearance uh, while I was officiating at a wedding, which is not the best time to have that happen. Uh, And as my wife and I were driving home from that wedding, we left a little early. Uh, I told my wife, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I feel so bad that I actually am going to have to go to emergency room on a Saturday night. And I've been in enough emergency rooms on Saturday nights visiting others to know you never want to do that. Uh, But I did it. And the one good thing was when I got in there and they gave me an IV and they put that magic little juice in the IV that they put in, uh, because I was so, I was nauseous in a way I don't think I've ever been nauseous before, but that magic little juice just took it all away and life was suddenly good again Uh, for a while until the stone decided to make its appearance again. Uh, But I was thinking afterwards, you know, this Kind of the way I deal with most, most health issues, I'm not recommending this, but my way, is I usually think about health things when I'm uncomfortable. When it makes me uncomfortable, that's when I deal with it. Now, I've known about those stones were coming a long time ago. Uh, they told me they're coming. I knew it. And there were, in this case, there wasn't a whole lot I could do about it in advance, you know, at least nothing affordable I could do about it in advance. Um, But I'm pretty much that same way about most health issues, even the ones I can do something to prevent or that I should be doing things in advance to take care of. I usually worry about them when there's a real problem and it creates discomfort. I don't think I'm strange. I think a lot of us do that. Now, my wife's great about worrying about those things ahead. She's great about trying to get me to do some of those things that I should do. But I think most of us, we kind of wait till the discomfort comes We don't always heed the warnings that we know are there. We don't always do the things we know we should do to be healthy, right? Well, in 1 Timothy 6, I think Timothy is speaking to to Timothy, 
uh, Paul is speaking to Timothy, and he's speaking to him about speaking to this church at Ephesus that he's now leading. And he's telling them, you know, I, I want you to give them some health warnings. There's some dangers ahead that they need to be thinking about, and I want you to, to put that in front of them, to warn them. And he really makes that warning strong. I think he understands. We don't always heed warnings very well. In this case, the, the health warning grew out of the fact that it came to the forefront because there were these false teachers uh, in the community. Um, and he's been addressing those a few times throughout the book of 1 Timothy. It's been a problem in that church. And in this case, these false teachers are, well, in verse 3 says this is what they're doing. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to sound instruction, and the word sound there is literally healthy. If anyone's teaching false doctrines does not agree to the healthy instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he's conceited and understands nothing. I love the way the New English Bible says it instead. He says he's a pompous ignoramus. That just sounds like a better way of saying it. Um, so, yeah, we're just arrogant, you know, ignorant if we think that somehow we know better than Christ and our way is better and uh, we can find a better way. So they're teaching these false things. And, and Paul goes on to say that they have an unhealthy craving for, you know, debate and for controversy over words and seems to be saying that they love to find little things to argue over and to fight over and to draw attention to, and probably doing those things because they want to draw attention to themselves. And there's no better way to draw attention to yourself as a teacher than, than to be someone who finds what's wrong in everyone else's teaching, right? That kind of picks it apart. And you're the one who has the real answer and show where they're not the ones to follow, but I've got the insight they've all missed. So find things to disagree about. And again, it's not that I think Paul's saying it's wrong to ever disagree with somebody. He's right here disagreeing with false teachers. But he says something about why they're doing this. They're, they're focusing on small things. It really isn't about promoting godliness in others. They're focusing on these things for something that personally they want to gain from it. And in this case, he says, their real motive was financial gain. That's what they wanted. They had this outward kind of godliness, this, this appearance of godliness that was for the purpose of what they really longed for. That wasn't the end. The real end was they wanted money and the things that money could buy. And it made me think, how many of us, um, you know, the godliness, this following after Christ, living the Christian life, how many of us, is it, is it about something else? Is there something else that really is at the forefront, that this serves that goal, that pursuit? Um, these words are spoken strongly to people who are leaders in the church. So you will find this term godliness appears uh, almost always, almost every appearance in the New Testament appears in the pastoral epistles. Uh, and he's speaking about it often, about, you know, godliness for the right purposes, true godliness, not false godliness. If someone's in a role like I'm in, it's something to think about. Are you living this out for some other purpose, like financial gain, being challenged? Think about that hard. Because I tell you, tomorrow if I walk away, uh, I'm going to have a hard time paying my bills. So it's a temptation. Is it just about the money? Um, any leader, though, there are other things that you could ask. Is it about the esteem that maybe comes from it? Do you like the position of leadership? Is that really what it's about? Is that the main thing that drives your service? For all of us, maybe it's things like, uh, you know, I, I think it's good for my kids. I want to see my kids be the right kind of people and successful. And, and I, I follow Christ because really it's, it's just kind of a parenting plan. 
Is it about, you know, I, I love the people that are involved in this, family and friends I have involved in this, and it's about that connection. Again, all good things, but not good things to be first things. Not good things to be our first love. Not godliness for those things. Because Paul says there actually is real gain that comes from godliness. In their case, financial gain is what they're looking for. But he says there real, is real gain that can come from godliness. But he says the kind of godliness he's talking about, the, the gain is actually in the godliness itself. It's not what it gets you. And the way you know it's that true kind of godliness is it's accompanied with what he calls contentment. Contentment would have been a word that in Paul's day was used often by the Stoics. And the Stoics use contentment to talk about self-sufficiency. This fact that we, we stand on our own. We don't need resources outside ourselves. We can do it ourselves. But that's not what Paul ever talks about when means when he talks about contentment. When Paul talks about contentment, he's talking about this Christ-sufficiency. Um, this fact that, you know, through Christ I gain all things. Through Christ I can do all things. That's what he's talking about, this contentment that comes from godliness. Hard word to define. Godliness seems to be about our outward behavior, about our lifestyle, but it also is something that grows out of this inward awe of God and devotion to God. He's saying this godly life, this God-like life, Christ-like life, it is something that in and of itself value is to be found. The gain is found there. And if you're going to, um, if you wonder if it's true godliness, contentment, the sufficiency that's found in relationship with Christ and in what he provides us, it's part of it. It's how you know it's the real thing. Now, what he doesn't say here is that it's, um, that money itself is evil. He doesn't say money itself is bad, it's wrong that you have things or that you have money or you make money. What he does here, say here, though, is that this inordinate focus upon or love for money is actually an evil thing. Not just wrong, he actually calls it evil. It's an evil thing, it does great harm. Uh, he says things about it like this, people who want to get rich. Again, it's not just they are rich, it's the want. It's the desire for. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money. Here it's that passion for it, it's that love of it, it's that desiring to possess it, and it's the most important thing. That's the dangerous thing that he's warning against. So, so the Holy Spirit, through Paul, to Timothy, and on to us, gives a health warning. And his health warning is, you know, this eager pursuit of, this love for, this passion for money and the things it can buy, it's really, really dangerous. Be careful about it. Watch out for it. And he gives us some reasons that we should watch out for it. He backs up this warning. In verse 7, he says, we, we brought nothing into this world. I think I got some slides here. We brought nothing into this world, uh, and we're going to take nothing out of it. Well, I did have. Aha. John Stott, I love this quote. Our life on earth is a brief pilgrimage between two moments of nakedness. Uh, and, and what he's saying is, you come into this world with nothing, you go out of this world with nothing, and when you look at this life from an eternal perspective, it is such a small piece of our existence. Uh, and the stuff that we obtain and accumulate during that small piece of our existence, such a small thing when you consider all of eternity. 
all of, all of the life that Christ has given us. Uh, such a small thing. And to invest everything in that stuff that's only temporary, uh, does it really make sense? Uh, instead, he says that we are called to find contentment in, in just food and clothing. And the word translated clothing there means covering, so it, it might even at times apply more than just clothing. It could even mean housing. But, you know, there's basic necessities, food and clothing and shelter, those basic things. No, find contentment in those. That's enough. If you're going to pursue, fight for something, fight for necessities. And what I, what I like in that is he's not saying it's wrong. He's not beating up people who say, I want to feed my family. And yes, that's an intense focus to me. Of course it is. Of course that is. It should be. I, basic necessities, yes. That moves to the top of the list. Nothing wrong with that. that that's really important. But once we get past those basic necessities, it doesn't deserve that kind of attention and that kind of passion. It's, it's an ordinance, out of place, not the way it should be. Um, I read research a few years ago by a professor out of Hope College up in Michigan where he had collected a bunch of studies and kind of did a study through a lot of studies on happiness. And one of the things that he said was that when you look at the correlation between wealth and happiness, you find almost no correlation at all between wealth and happiness until you get below a certain level of poverty. Then it, they do correlate. There's a certain level of just basic need that, yes, if you get more, you're happier because you need more. But once you get beyond that, it really doesn't correlate to happiness. It really doesn't produce more in most people. Matter of fact, it does the opposite oftentimes. Um, so be content with food and clothing, he says. But he goes beyond just saying that um, money is something that you have to watch out for because... Um, because it's just temporary, because it won't last long. He says it's actually dangerous. It's actually something that does harm this love of money you need to be careful of. And, and we all kind of know that, right? We know, we know money can become addictive. It is one of the things, material things, getting more, it is often an addictive pursuit for people. I love this uh, cartoon from Calvin and Hobbes, uh, where Calvin says, getting is better than having. When you get something, it's new and exciting, and when you have something, you take it for granted, and it's boring. But everything you get turns into something you have. That's why you always need to get new things. I feel like I'm in some stockholder's dream. Waste and want, that's my motto. Uh, we laugh at it, but often it is us, right? That the things that you thought, if only I had, life would be okay. If only I could get those things, life would be pretty good. And then you get those things, and they become pretty common after a while, right? Not so important. I think when my wife and I were uh, back when I was in seminary, and, and again, really, truly, financially, just getting by, uh, just able to pay bills, the things we would have thought then, if we only had, I wouldn't need anything more. In fact, whenever I talk to young couples who are getting married, when I talk to them about finances, the interesting thing is they always talk about how you know, when we're talking about this concern about getting too much debt and this pursuit of more and the dangers of it, I always kind of get, I would say almost always, the response is one of, that's not us. We don't care about stuff. Material things, that's just not a concern for us. What's funny is, though, if I go back to all those same couples 10 years later, they're usually in a lot of debt and have a whole lot of stuff and are worried about their stuff. Why is that? 
Because the people we're with when we're young and just coming out of college, they don't have anything either, right? We're, we're shoulder to shoulder with them. But we want to keep shoulder to shoulder. We want to keep getting more, and we want more stuff and new stuff to keep up with everybody around us. It's very addictive. There's always a desire for more. And we live in a day where I think it's more dangerous than ever because of things like media and marketing. Uh, we are inundated with messages that tell you in a way it's never existed before in history. The, the way that marketers can get access to your attention, a moment of your attention, never existed like this before. And again, I'm not trying to beat up on all marketing, but I would just say, like, never before it is before us, in our ear, in our line of sight, things that tell you you need more, and things that also tell you be discontent with what you have. More will make things better. Always the message is coming at us. It's a a tough one. Uh, The Old Testament is filled with warnings against covetousness, against this yearning to possess more and more and more. Um, Here's one of them. As a matter of fact, wisdom literature is just filled with them. This is one from Ecclesiastes. The teacher says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Or in Proverbs 30, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Give me just enough. It's too much. Ah, it becomes a danger. It becomes something that, that I have to fight harder for it not to own me. Because it so often does. So instead of being a lover of money, Paul goes on in this passage and tells Timothy there are certain character traits that are better. Things like righteousness and godliness and faith and love, endurance and gentleness. All things that uh, kind of have this relational quality to them that our relationship to others and our relationship with God let those things be the things that you're known for and you're passionate about the things that produce relationship let those take first place that's what godliness is first and foremost about but then when you get to the end of this chapter he comes back and he and he says so I've been talking to those who are pursuing wealth and then at the end of the chapter he talks to those who already have it so maybe you're not really everyday pursuing it because you got it you have more than everybody else already and also if you look around the world pretty much all of us have more than most of the world right everybody here just about does we are wealthy people compared to most of the world and so to us i think paul would say a little more he says to those who are already rich there's a danger of, of being somebody who gets so caught up in what you have and holding on to it and keeping it that it can own you you see there's two dangers here One is I need to get more. The other is I need to keep what I got. And I often fall into that category, I think. It's not always, I sometimes get proud about the fact I don't care about getting more. I do, but I like to convince myself I don't. But I know what I do is I like to take care of and maintain and keep pristine the stuff I have. I like to make sure it's going to be there and that I can continue to have it. And a lot of energy can go into those kind of things, right? that again, it can start moving up the list of priority and be in a place where it really doesn't belong. And Paul says, be careful. Be careful about that. And he, and he gives two very clear warnings. Matter of fact, he commands them. Commands them to do two things, those who have, uh, already have wealth. Do not be arrogant and not to put their hope in wealth. So the first one, don't be arrogant. 
Wealth kind of tempts you to do that, doesn't it? When you have more and you see somebody with less, there's that little temptation to think, I have more because there's something about me that deserves more. I have more because I'm a little bit smarter. I'm a little bit harder worker. Maybe I'm more disciplined. That's why I have more. And others have less because they don't have as much of those things. Um, Tempting to think that way. But how often do we in those same moments think about all the factors that contribute to our success, our financial status, that really have nothing to do with choice, with effort, with those kind of things? I have to do with the place I was born a lot of times. And certain places, if you're born, certain families you're born into, you just start out a different place. You, you have less distance to go. You have different opportunities given education that was made available to you. Um, we have different opportunities because of family's involvement in our lives or lack of involvement in our lives. Changes the opportunities. We're sometimes just born with some things, right? Some abilities, intelligence, physical abilities, and other things that I didn't do anything to deserve or earn. I just have. I have the opportunity to use those things. Things like race, other things sometimes contribute to the opportunities that we have. Again, so much that has nothing to do with choice, nothing to do with your effort, nothing to do with your character, are contributors. And do we notice those things? Because if we truly notice those things, I think it would move us to greater humility and gratitude because there's so much that has contributed to the stability in my life financially or the success that I've known that honestly is simply a blessing from outside myself. It's not something that I produce for myself. Now, it's not to say that sometimes people can't contribute to their own struggles. But man, we are too quick to think that is it. That is all that determines who they are versus who we are. So often not the case. Um, but he goes beyond that. He says that's not the only issue. Just um, be concerned about not being arrogant. He also commands them, um, don't put hope in wealth. Because hope also, wealth also tempts you to a false security, Right? This belief that somehow you can handle everything yourself because you have money. Anything comes along, anything goes wrong, there are resources that I can use because of my money. There are things I can buy to solve my problems. Uh, Money will always get me out of trouble. And I can depend upon my own resources, my money or my stuff now for my life. Uh, And one of the first arguments that Paul makes is the fact that, you know, money... Wealth is a very uncertain thing. It's one of the reasons I don't look at my 401k account. I don't like to look at it because, um, so I had to just the last week. I had to take a look at it because a form I was filling out. It was so depressing because I gained all this money in eight months. And then in September, I lost all that I gained. It all went away in one month because of whatever's going on in the stock market that I don't pay attention to. Uh, all of that happened in one month. Now, I've been told by the guy who manages my 401k, just don't look at it. Don't look at it. We'll meet once in a while and talk about it, but don't look at it in between because it's going to go up and down, and that's just how it works. And, uh, and I try to heed that advice. I try not to look at it. But I did the other day, and I was like, oh, you know, why'd that have to happen? I liked it better up there. Uh, it, because it's an uncertain thing. It's an unpredictable thing. It's something we can't always count on. You all know that. We all know a job can be gone tomorrow. We all know health things can happen. I've been helping my father a lot lately. 
uh, with some health things he's gone through. A man who's worked hard to save and be financially stable, and one health issue has pretty well drained huge amounts of his savings, right? I mean, in a moment, things can change, uh, how easy it is. Because finances and wealth is a very uncertain thing. Uh, and, he, and he says again, it's God who is the source of all things that we enjoy. Paul goes beyond saying it's just uncertain and it's temporary. He also says to us, honestly, at its very core, it all comes from God. You don't produce it. It's all a gift from him. Any blessing you have is a gift from him. And it's, it's just plain disrespectful for us to start thinking somehow we're independent that because we have money, we can handle things on our own, right? Because never was it ever truly something that we produce. Anything we have, any ability we have, ultimately, it's a good gift from God. And it's the only reason we have those blessings. So, Paul gives some uh, preventative medicine to make sure you don't let love of money creep in, that danger to your health, to your spiritual health and relational health, make its way into your life. And here's the preventive medicine that he gives us in verse 18. He says, do good, be rich in good deeds. And he says, be generous and willing to share. So do good, be rich in good deeds. You know, one of the biggest problems I have with this passage is he said, Paul's telling Timothy to command the people in his church, command them to do this, to do good and to be generous. And I, ooh, I don't like that, you know, because I... I don't like asking people to give money. I don't like asking them to volunteer. I get uncomfortable. I always feel like I'm a salesman or I'm pressuring people to do things. So I'm, I'm almost apologetic most of the time when I'm asking people in church to do something. Like, you know, I, I know you're busy and I know it's hard and, and I'm sorry, but could you help? You know? Paul actually tells Timothy, command them to do it. And I, I you know, I'm, I, I want to do that because he said it. But that's kind of hard. But here's why he tells them to command. He tells them to command in verse 19 because he wants them to lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Command them to be generous. Command them to focus on doing that which is good. Why? Set aside this love for money and for stuff and focus on these things. Why? Because that is the stuff that honestly brings you the life that is truly life. That it lays up treasures for you that last forever. They aren't just from nakedness to nakedness. These are treasures you will enjoy for eternity. He's not saying here to them, here's how you get saved. Do good and give generously. He's speaking to Christians. He's telling those who already know Christ, whose, whose eternity is assured in Christ. He's telling them, you want real treasure. You want the kind of treasure you will celebrate and enjoy forever. Then be one who does good and gives generously. Because that's the stuff that changes lives around you. That's the stuff that makes God known before others. That's the stuff that, that changes your relationships and deepens your relationship with God and others. Those are the kind of things you will celebrate for eternity. The stuff you accumulate, you won't. That'll end. It'll soon mean nothing. Matter of fact, talk to most people who are older. Talk to people my age or beyond. And you'll seldom hear anybody say, you know, I wish I would have spent more time making more. I wish I would have invested more in making more money and buying more stuff. 
I wish I would have invested more time in taking care of the stuff I had and making sure it was really well cared for. You will seldom hear anybody at my stage of life say that. Almost always what you will hear is, I wish I would have invested more in the relationships that mattered to me. I wish I would have given more for the cause of Christ. I wish if I could have it back, those things would have taken priority. Not wrong that we make money. Not wrong that we pay our bills. It's not even wrong, I think, that we have good things. Uh, there are blessings meant to be enjoyed. I think we ought to enjoy them fully. That is different than loving them, being eager to get more of them, possessing them and holding tight to them as if they're the thing that matters most. You know, stinginess and wastefulness in some ways are just two sides of the same sin. Stinginess, if money is the thing that matters and material stuff's the stuff that matters, keeping it, it's really important. I've got to hold on to it. I've got to make sure it's there. Or indulging myself in it because it's the stuff that's really good. It's the life-giving stuff. Both of them are about this, again, inordinate view of what money and stuff is. It's a good blessing. It's not the stuff of the life that's truly life. I want to show you a little clip that I love, a little film clip. So most of you have seen Schindler's List. And Schindler's List, uh, Oscar Schindler, uh, back in 1944, as the war was coming to an end and uh, Nazis were beginning to exterminate uh, just thousands and thousands of people. Oscar Schindler was a f- owned a factory and he had people from the concentration camps working in his factory. Um, and he made a deal with a commandant of the prison camp where he could move his factory and keep those workers. And the goal was to keep them from being exterminated. So some 1,200 workers out of the concentration camp, stayed with him. And then over the years, he bribed uh, SS officials. He spent money in the black market to buy supplies for those people. They said he completely, pretty much completely spent his fortune bribing SS officials and buying black market supplies to take care of those 1,200 people. Now, he was others who were a part of this and who made this happen, but he sacrificed money for this. So you may remember this clip, and again, this historical drama, so I'm not sure this event ever happened, but I think it reflects something true. I think if we rightly understood material things, if we rightly understood them, uh, again, wonderful blessing a lot of times, good things to be enjoyed, nothing wrong with the fact we have them and enjoy them. But if we rightly understood them, they are so much less uh, than the people around us than the relationships we have, than our relationship with God. So much less. Uh, If we rightly understood them, generosity, um, wanting to do good, it would be a wonderful resource to help us do many of those good things. Right? Right? My point today isn't to beat everybody up because you have stuff. It's really not. Uh, I think we can all feel that way because we all do. We have a lot. We have more than we need, right? We can all feel that way, but it really will accomplish nothing. What I hope you'll do is apply the preventative medicine that Paul talked about. Is you want to make sure it stays in its right place because it so easily gets out of place. Do good. Be generous. Put some habits and routines in your life that keep you volunteering in places where you know, there's no clear personal gain for doing it. You're volunteering because you want to do good. Keep giving, being generous in some places where it doesn't bring you some secondary benefit. 
but give. Put routines in your life and habits in your life that make sure you're doing that so that we can protect ourselves against this very dangerous thing. This thing that's dangerous to our, to our spiritual health and our relational health. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to be a grateful people. That when we see the good things we have, and Father, you give us so much beyond our need. We have enjoyed so much beyond need. Even just as a church, we enjoy so much beyond what we need. Father, I pray you'll help us always to remember and to be grateful. Father, when we look around at what we have, I pray you would help us to be content. To realize that the loss of so much of it really isn't the stuff of life. That the true things of life, Father, those things, uh, can't be lost. Those are the things that still come from you, but the things that last for an eternity. Pray, Father, we'll keep things in right order in our lives. And I pray, Father, you'd help us to be a generous people, generous with our time and with our resources, with our money, with the things we have. Help us, Father, to be quick to give away, not because just we should, but because, Father, we understand they're just not the most important things. In your blessed name, amen.